0: There are several nicknames for David. Uh, Obviously, our sermon series is the most famous nickname that God has called him a man after God's own. My own heart, God said. And that's the reason why we are studying on his life and his heart as an example to follow in our faith journey. Another one is a sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a poet and songwriter. And the majority of psalms were written by David. And David's heart just revealed in pages after pages. And even to this day, many uh, Christians are helped by psalms. And other prophets are God spoke through the prophets to us, um, but the only in Psalms, men speak to God on behalf of us, and there's a lots of different emotions. I still remember when I was a, a college student. This is a time that you know God was really increasing me and stretching me in in faith, my formative years. And as a young man, I went through several crises because of girlfriend and because of my uh, job, part-time job issue and financial needs. I wanted to be independent uh, because of school There are times that without knowing about all the language of our spiritual formation, in a big classroom, I think it's a math classroom or engineering classroom, the empty classroom, I'll sit there going through the pages of Psalms looking for the first couple of lines that reflected my heart. And there are always, always handful of them that I could find. This is exactly why I am right now. And for example, Psalm 69. Save me, O God. There's no praise at calling God. Save me, O God, from this pit. Do not let its mouth close on me. Oh, I feel like that at times. And there are times that it, I'm lo- I was lonely. And then David sweet psalmist of Israel wrote not only songs of his emotional, spiritual height but in the depth of it, his failures, even his own sin. Psalm 51, in two weeks um, we'll be taking a look at that psalm of repentance. Obviously another one is King David who had received the Davidic covenant from which we have the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But today's passage is a tragic because it, uh, in spite of Two most famous stories that David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. Uh, David and Goliath's famous story is just a triumph. But David and Bathsheba's story is so realistic depiction of depravity of this man, our hero. So I wanna do this. Study uh, just a bit, a bit, little differently. Let's get a quick overview, and we're going to read the entire chapter uh, as a scripture reading. And then we're going to ask about three questions and make to make observation. And at the end, we're going to draw uh, practical lessons for every day. So let's start with a, an overview. This incident. Took place um, at the pinnacle of David's successful military campaigns. So even just the last week, First, uh, Second Samuel, chapter ten and chapter eight also. David is not only increasing his strength; and his army is getting stronger, but even Syrians. One of the uh, most powerful armies and nation, and when, whenever in that ancient days, whenever that ancient the uh, the nation is that strong, there are many subjects. They make peace. But because chapter ten, Syrian was finally utterly depe- defeated by David's army. Now all the subjects, the other nations who used to. Make peace. And now they become subject to Israel. And all other, now, even the story, the war is continually going on as a context. We, as we have seen the last Sunday, it, it's an ongoing war with Ammonites. But this time already, it has been tilted. It's not an equal level of fighting with fire with each other. It's almost David's army finishing them off. and Going into their capital, royal city of Rabbah. And this is the context. David fell. Just remember that. Satan's scheme is cunning and elusive, and it's a very well-known illustration that I heard as I was a child and um, can't still uh, forget that. This is what uh, the evil one will typically do. He will cheer for us to climb the tree, and it's, you are great, you are awesome. There is no one like you, and we climb over this tall tree. When we get to the top of the tree, he takes the tree and violently shakes so we could fall. That's the danger of success. When we think we're standing, when we think we're on top, when we think things are going so well in our lives, and that's the most vulnerable. Time in our spiritual walk. Number two, it depicts David's tragic failures with the realism of story. There is no sugarcoating. There is no excuses or qualifications for why he had to sin. And by the way, this is a, a, a proof tangible proof of divine author. Because when you think about any kind of autobiography, so say even Martin Luther King Jr. or Abraham Lincoln, there are tainted parts of their lives but still overlook a lot of times. I somehow didn't know about some facts about Martin Luther King Jr. until I looked at his life more uh, closely it didn't change my opinion about him but there was an obvious thing but usually heroism especially American heroism is that we gloss over those things here David seems just far far more worse than any typical of a, one of us realism realism Is there. Lest we think that, oh, poor David, I'm better than you. It warns us against our own propensity and frailty against the power of sin apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, that could be us. Especially for those of you who are doing better and you've been getting promotion, and you've been increasing your influence in your community. If you fall, the impact will be greater. Wouldn't that be? That's what happened to some of my pastor friends. Are they any worse than me? No, by the grace of God, I am delivered from those temptations. But I know them personally. They're just like you and me. And lastly, it teaches us important lessons on deceitfulness of sin and sinfulness of sin. Those are obviously theological terms, but it's very important. For, un, for for us to understand how deceitful sin is and how sinful sin is, rather than glossing over uh, the light-hearted view of sin as a mistake or mishap or shortcoming, it's almost like uh, you're driving in 25 mile zone and speeding zone, and you were going about 28, and you got pulled over. Oh, gee. All right, write me a ticket. 28 out of 24. That could be our typical attitude about our sins, wouldn't that be? So, once again, 2 Samuel chapter 11, let's hear the whole story. This is a reading of God's Word. In the beginning of the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to the battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of his king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam the wife of Uriah the Hittite so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her, now she has has been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, "I am pregnant." So David sent word to Joab, "Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah. To David. When David came to him, David, Uriah came to him. David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the world was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told you, David, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in and Israel and Judah dwell in the booths, and my lord Joab, And the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also. And tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but, the, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it, sent it by the hand of Uriah, In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubesheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite, is that also? So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to him, "The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drew them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah." The Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you. For the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. And encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. When the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Wow. What a story. Let's ask three questions. The first question, what sin did David commit in this story? If you glanced over and said, oh, simple, adultery and murder. no, Actually, to take a close look at Ten Commandments, he broke half of the Ten Commandments. Five. Here's number one, obviously. Seventh commandment, thou shall not, you shall not commit adultery. The obvious one. It starts with a very illicit affair. One time, high. And obviously, he was murder by hire, first degree. Sixth commandment, you shall not kill. Murder. But in the midst of it all, There is, you shall not have false witnesses against your neighbor. In other words, do not lie. And David, the man after God's own heart. With the pretension of caring and investigating about how the world is going. More of a king's fatherly heart. Asking questions about how Joab is doing, the people are doing, how the world is going. Actually, he is just full of duplicity. There. What he's trying to do is he's lie through all this so that he could cover his sin. If Uriah, Hittite, go sleep his wife, and the pregnancy will be. Covered. It will be Uriah's baby. And even to uh, Joab, he sends this letter. And by the way, is, isn't Uriah contrast, contrastingly noble here? David's supposed to be man of integrity. Here is a man, a soldier and warrior who's, who has just full of integrity and loyalty and sleeps at the palace and the, with, with other soldiers without even taking off his armor. How could I do this? When my, my master Joab is in the field and your ark is in the tent, I will not do this he make him drunk so once again this is a, a bit of a manipulation especially the war, far more worse is when you have a power any kind of sexual sin is bad but when the perpetrator is a priest a teacher and to the minor or to the To the employee, to the manager, from the manager or from executive, totally story changes. King. I think one of the bad things that we could do is uh, overanalyzing from our culture. Uh, ah, Bathsheba is supposed to be more moderate. She's not supposed to take bath in front of kings. Obviously, palace will be high and she'll be seen. And going on and on. The biblical writer is intentional. Did you notice the Bathsheba's name is only mentioned once? And after that, wife of Uriah, a daughter of Eliam. So lying or oh, David. There's more. Tenth commandment. That thou shall not covet your wife's property, your, wa- your neighbor's property, your neighbor's wife. But actually, nothing wrong with the first look. And the woman is gorgeous, even very beautiful, appealing. You know, for 99% of men, though, except the one person is sick, you, you doesn't, uh, hormones function well enough, doesn't feel. We get all tempted. But if you dwell, and if he finds out who the woman is, and the woman is his comrade. It's one of three mighty men of David. Remember the cave of Adelam? The community, when David was uh, just uh, running away from, from King, King Saul, he was nobody. And then people came to cave. And it became uh, the famous stories of David's three mighty men and 30 mighty men. Uriah Hittite was one of those 30, 30 mighty men. Eliam as well also too. But even if, even though he knew About this, my comrade and buddy's wife. He coveted. His passion was too strong to deter from it. Maybe he find out with intention, or maybe she's nobody's wife, and I'll take her. Okay, now that she's somebody's wife and I know Uriah so well and he's my, one of the loyal warriors, mighty warriors, my friend. But I can't resist it. The question leads to why David? What were the what causes, undercurrent reasons, all these things were happening. The fifth one is eighth commandment: "Thou shalt not steal." The stealing, as I mentioned, uh, might not be you become a, a robber in the middle of the night, but if you have a power. It's called the extortion, right? And I'm not. I'm not defending Bathsheba in some sense. That, uh, but the biblical writer is clear about all the weight of responsibility in this case falls on David. The only thing that Shiva could have done. I will not. I will rather choose death. At the king's order, she could get killed. Right? But most likely, she didn't even have a uh, enough voice to even say anything. She probably, did she even respond to him? Have you noticed? There is, the story is such a Quick storytelling without any conver- conversation, any daytime drama conversations going on here. So, once again, the half of the Ten Commandments broken. Whoa! And some might say, oh, it, this is not honoring his parents either. Fourth Commandment is broken. So what were the undercurrent reasons that led David to commit such terrible sins? This is the part that we are looking at mirror, that it doesn't take a horrible sinner to become like David. He could be just like me. I could be just like him, especially if we are in that high position of power. The temptation even greater. Number one reason is a spiritual complacency. Success breeds spiritual complacency. Why? If you turn to this is our next Sunday's message, David and Nathan. Nathan is sent by David, I mean sent by God to confront is that David David gets confronted by the prophet. It's a beautiful story. And hopeful story because of David's repentance through that too. But 2nd Samuel 12:8 through 9 gives us a little bit of inside hint what go, what went on in David's heart. It's the Lord God is saying through Prophet Nathan, verse 8, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it were this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? David was known to fear the Lord. That's why, even at the perfect opportunity, he didn't kill King Saul because he feared the Lord. And what happened? His heart became complacent, and we're going to talk about default mode as a nature of sin. So many of us Westerners, especially the civilized Orange County people, think that we're basically good people. But the Bible talks about default mode as sinful. We are naturally depraved. If David was complacent, what happened was everything is slipping away like a slippery slope. How do we also know? The biblical writer starts with chapter 11 in the spring. Why spring? Because winter time is too hard,' too cold to King to lead military campaign. and the season of best time for war is a spring. in the traditionally ancient days, kings go out to war, but David remained in Jerusalem. What happened? Chapter 11. David went out. And thorough victory over Syrians. And Syrians refused to help Ammonites anymore. I think what happened was David became one of the most powerful nation. Surrounding nations were dreadful toward even thinking about invading. And his land was expanded twice bigger than that of King Saul's. From Dan to Beersheba. And everybody's happy. He's a popular king. And you might thought, oh, we already won the war, and I don't really to know. Go out. Joab, you guys go out. And did you notice? He got up from his couch. Couch is basically bed, The Israel's version of bed. Late afternoon. It, just luxurious, lazy life. Probably took a whole nap and just w- wandering around walking around high roof from the palace. And you could see all the houses nearby. And at a distance, Bathsheba, this beautiful woman is taking a bath. Do you remember? He has six wives and many concubines. He could call any one of them. But coveting the fleshly desire, Number two reason is that David's prideful power that evaded accountability. Um, We might not be king, but when you get to a certain level of some type of power, you get extra freedom. So when you are part-time job and you clock in and clock clock out, every minute you have to be accounted. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going. I'm just going to go uh, go to that restroom. Is that okay? Sure. But when you are manager, when you are executive, when you are uh, self-employed business owner. You could take off any anytime you want. You're only accountable to God. And I still remember uh, when I, in my previous church, it was a large church and I had an assistant uh, and the, my, one of the rules is that nobody knows where I am, who I am, but my assistant should know where I am at that moment. That's accountability. But some of the guys, even I, when I oversaw some of the pastors, nobody knew, not even his wife, not even his assistant knew where he was. And David is basically saying, saying he's a king. Oh, he's my friend's wife, but I could get away. He's, he's at the war. evaded accountability, any kind of scrutiny, will David's servant stand up and say, King, this is wrong. No, there is no way. Do you have a leadership? Are you a boss? Are you a manager? Or even in a smaller scale, we tend to have our children be accounted but then we make exceptions right so with my teenage boys they surrender their iphone every time when i when they come home during the week night weekdays right but they're curious about what i am doing with my phone and my my laptop i i unless i am equivalent in in that accountability They don't buy it. They don't buy that I am in good for them. Number three reason. David's unguarded heart on his weak point, weak spot. Um, If David was tempted about power or even wealth, I think David's integrity will stand, uh, stand him up. And say no, but David, from the beginning, he was weak at woman, more blatantly speaking. he's men with a sexual passion and lust, and many of us are that way. so um, I'm going to be a little cautious about and sharing this just so that we know that it's not only men's problem. The temptation and sin is everybody's problem. But isn't it true that, I still remember when, when I was growing up, in teenage years, the biggest sin uh, we could done is run to some, it, it has to, even Texas Seven didn't have a dirty magazine. So you have to go to some, corner liquor store to get Playboy or Penthouse Magazine to get that. And that's really kind of adventuresome. Your races and, and then your curiosity and all that happens, right? But nowadays, what? One click. Even if you don't want it, there's a pop-up going up everywhere. And we fear for our children. To be exposed to really just bad things, but to be honest with you, the power of sin through porn in church, even church among church leaders, is so powerful. The devil's getting a getting a grip on us. It's a weak point. Okay, lest we think that it's all about sexual sin. Let's move on to another thing. Some of you have a problem with anger. You lose anger. Your temper is just uncontrollable. And devil's got you in the weak spot. If you have unguarded heart, you're going to have a tragic failure. You're going to do something that you would regret for a long time, if not for the rest of your life. And some of you are prone to gossip or just negative talks about people, and devils have a foothold opportunity opening in there as well, okay, let's be even honest about it. some of you have maybe growing up it was hard for you, so the status in materialistically. Having your corner office or big house and nice car is so important to you. Devil got you right there. Unguarded heart. And because of this unguarded heart, David lives with the consequence of sin. So, up until now, is a triumph. And because of tra- tragic failure, He goes on to ongoing and increasing travels with his family life and with his nation. Number four reason is deceitfulness of sin. Why sin is deceitful? Because sin, I'm trying to be real here, tastes sweet. And you could, you think you could, I should say, I think I could get away with it. Only if I stop here. In so doing, what happens is it blinds us. Whatever happened to David, the man after God's own heart? He's blinded by own self-deceit. Although he lied to others, he didn't know he was lying to himself, and he got blinded. Self-realization happens. So, for those of us, we think that uh, I could handle it. Uh, in recovery circle, it's called a denial, right? The same thing in our sin. Those of us who think we could handle it, uh you know, Sports Illustrated and uh, the bikinis—they're not completely new. I could not handle it. It doesn't really bother me. But those are the ones that who get hooked, usually. Right? Those who one. Those are the ones who go out to ocean and thinking that I don't really knife guard. I don't need a life jacket. I don't need friends to come with me because I swim well. Those are the ones who get to get into accident. How about you? And lastly, the sinfulness of sin. The 17th century, uh, In England, uh, the theologian and pastor named by Ralph Benning, the famous book the, the sinfulness of sin. So he he expounds how s- sin is sinful in every direction, goes to against God's will, against God's plan. And and the sinfulness of sin is basically. Sin doesn't stay all by itself. It becomes like snowballing effect happens. East growing in unseen things. Right? Do you see that? From David? From day one? Did David come up with all these five sins I'm going to commit? Five sins intentionally, strategically, and in sequence. No, he probably thought this will not grow. I, I, I just will just do. He's in, he's in war. She's so beautiful. I, I can I can't resist. And no one will tell. And it grows into it, and he has to lie to cover up, and the lying doesn't work, and make him drunk, and drinking, drinking doesn't change the man of integrity. Uriah stays in, so he sends him to get killed. Wow, what's going on? And he takes. Is a perfect crime. At the end of chapter eleven. The one word, but these things displeased the Lord. In chapter 12, word, evil in the sight of the Lord. There are a few things that I think um, I was tempted to do. Through this message. The one is. Just paint a picture. Talk about story. And draw simple lessons. Move on with it. And then to dwell on sin. Is just too heavy. In our culture. Too negative. To talk about. It always feels good. When you think about positive things. That talk about grace. But the truth is grace doesn't mean a squad unless we know the gravity of sin, the concept, real consequence of sin. So with aching heart, I want to share a couple of things about a sin. What types of sins should we become aware of? Lest we become thinking that, it, once again, the small Mistake, mishap, uh, shortcoming, as sin. There's a two types of sin here: original sin and actual sin. The common misconception about original sin is Adam's sin. Why do I sh- Why should I be responsible for someone else's sin? No. Theologians mean by original sin is the power of sin that came into humankind. In other words. The original sin is the sin nature that came. Depravity. The default default mode of our heart is sinful. Depraved in every direction. There's a degree that we could go far deeper. But in terms of getting affected in every action, every error. If cancer is spread in every every parts of our body, same way. Actual sin is the commit, the sins that we actually commit. So sin nature leads us to sin. Actual sin is there. Number two, sin of inner thoughts versus outer behaviors. The Pharisees' problem, and Back in the days, even nowadays also too. Only concerned about sin of behaviors, So cleaning up on the outside. Oh, I have a lust problem, but I never slept with anyone. And Jesus said, if you look at woman with lustful eyes, lustful heart, you have already committed adultery. So in other words, there's a sin of behavior. Far worse, yes, to the degree. But sin of inner thoughts is also sinful, displeasing to the Lord. And sin of action versus sin of reaction. These are the things that as you become Christian, we could become convinced that we are better now. The reason why I say we is I'm included in that. Because I don't do action. I don't cuss at people. I don't go on a, raid, a road rage, give them finger. A scene of reaction, although we think that we're calm water, but somebody pokes at us, at, at, at us, so in your work, all of a sudden, you just burst with, where did that anger came from? And That's what we are, really are inside. Reaction shows our sinfulness. Or somebody is getting promoted and doing really well and your co-worker is getting bonus and all of a sudden you've been really nice to him. All of a sudden you just feel jealous. Scene <laughs> of reaction. There are so many gentle people in our church. But I know the temperamentally gentle people, when they're poked, they get vicious. But not like us who yells and screams and reacts behaviorally. There's a passive aggressive thing going on. That's very, very fearful, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, in my my, uh, marital fight with Kate, I really wish she would scream at me, and do something like that. But whenever she shuts down, she shuts down cold shoulder. My life is so miserable. I can't <laughs> be. M- but at the surface, I'm really far worse because I'm a screamer. <coughs> In my life, we learn to express our feelings. Why don't you? lastly i mean there's two more sin of commission versus sin of omission sins that we commit yeah yes yes there's a drawing of boundaries and as long as i don't go over that line and sin of commission is that sin of omission is something that god desires us to do command us to do that we do not do love god with all your heart with all your mind all your strength That we do not do that and sin of omission happens. Love your neighbor. Forgive others. Forgive who offended you. Give arm to the poor, to the people who go through tragedy like hurricanes. But it's always easier for us to look at what I don't transgress. The core of sin in sum it all is actually the problem of self. Pride and self-centeredness is a default mode. That's why we do not have an empathy when we did inconsiderate things or sinful things that offended some people. And we complain about how different that person is. And our apology becomes very cheap. Sorry if you feel offended. The, the, the parenthesis under, under the breath is, gee, you should feel more, more, more thick, thick-faced. How how are you gonna live your life it's so hypersensitive? You know? Why don't you become like me? I'm okay with that. So I'm I'm hoping by this time that we will feel that David is not such distant from us. God, uh, if I am in powerful situation, David, maybe I could have done even far worse. So here are the lessons for us. Oh, by the way, one thing that summarizes all about snowballing effect and sin, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, is, quote, one leak will sink a ship and one sin will destroy a sinner. And David's one sin almost destroyed his entire life. Because of God's mercy, severe mercy, he sent Nathan. And we get to hear that story uh, next Sunday. Lesson number one, yesterday's grace of God For us is for strengthening our souls against sin and temptations yesterday, not for today. It's so easy to live on yesterday's grace. That's the reason why we become complacent, right? Hebrews 4 7 says, again, God appoints a certain day today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts. I wonder at Crossway today's. Grace is fresh. If I ask you. Are you being strengthened by the grace right now? Today? Are you living on your yesterday's grace? Five years ago, ten years ago. When we started a crossway church in the beginning. Or back in your single days. Back in your college days. Back in the time that you were so active and serving at church as a volunteer? Are you still living on that? Or oh, Back in the days that, that such, such passage meant so much to me. I could still go back to that. But to be honest with you, both you and me, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. But today, as we get up, and receive God's grace. And th- that verse has been always there. I read t- 10,000 times, but becomes alive and grips my heart and strengthens me. And suddenly, I have strengthened my backbone. I could stand up against the devil, devil's scheme. Even at the spot of where when my weakness is, it. I could say no. You could say no. Am I right? Second Timothy 2.1 says, Therefore my son, Apostle Paul is saying to his spiritual son, be strengthened by the grace, by free gift you have that is in Christ Jesus. What are free things that you have? Available to you. God's word. Living and active. We just read it through the Hebrews, right? Sharper than two-edged sword. Being able to penetrate our bones and marrows. And intentions of our heart. And prayer. God, our Abba. Strengthen our souls. And our hope our postures through prayer. Which leads to number two. The only way to overcome the deceitfulness of sin is to fight the good fight of faith daily with the word and prayer in community. Hebrews 3, verse 13 through 14. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. There's one more, First, First Timothy six eleven through twelve. But as for you, O men of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of, faith, of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you're called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, the deceitfulness becomes much more deceitful if we're getting weaker. The fight, the good fight of faith, is not just a sitting around becoming passive because of trusting is all about it, right? We need to be strengthened, actively passive in that. If you uh, hear my, you know, my complaints, let's say. I say, oh, I don't know what's going on. I feel really weak these days. Uh, I don't I don't feel the stamina I used to have. I get sick quite often. And then you ask questions. So Paul, do you do you eat well? Uh oh, no, I don't have really time to eat. Maybe uh, once a day and uh, I just kind of Go through the fast food really quick. Do you sleep well? Ah, uh, no, I get up in the middle of the night and you know watch football or a lot of games and Korean drama and then would you go like this? Hmm, this is strange. Why do you feel weak and sick? <laughs> I know it's I know humorous. To be honest with you, that's what we're doing sometimes. Have you been eating the Word? Have you been strengthening your heart by the hope of in Christ? Do you go to prayer? Do you spend time with the Lord alone? Do you go to men's group, women's group, be strengthened by accountability and sharpening one another? If you don't, you are frail. Your mode would kick in again. You become cynical. You become weak. You become doubtful. You become full of yourself. And then doing it together, spiritual community. And to pursue these things together with others is so important, isn't it? Last and number three lesson a wisdom for victory over sin. It's paradoxical. To cultivate not a self-confident heart, but a broken, humble heart before God. If this is a physical fight, you are going into MMA MMA fight, you better have a confident heart. But spiritual fight, fight, the more we are overly confident in ourselves, the more enemy has advantage over us because he could easily win us. But when we become weak, we depend on we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the devil cannot defeat our Lord. Psalm thirty-four verse eight and eighteen. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed be is the man who takes refuge in him. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't misread this. This is not meaning that you become miserable in your own self-pity. No, you become fully aware of your own frailty and own propensity towards sin and surrender your heart. Humble and broken heart. Okay, this is typically what we could do. What I used to do to this to this. okay, I want it. Okay, I made a decision. I'm gonna do it. Lord Give me grace. That, that it's almost like, like a, without doing any e- exercising, and you're trying to trying to build your muscles. Um, I am grateful since my life change. I lost about thirty pounds. I feel I feel so much energized. But confession is that the mild swim that I, that I do every morning is a dreadful work. It's so hard. Even if I was a swimmer, it just, I feel just so much pain. At least I feel better when, when, when it ended. Right In the beginning, I drag myself. But what if I'm saying, oh, I look good now so I don't i don't have to exercise I feel confident but it, i just, i am continually convinced i went to you know one of one of the, my uh, shortcomings uh, my weaknesses that I hate to go see a doctor so it's been years right so this year my, i decided to my spirituality begins with my self care so I went to see the doctor twice and the t- Two blood tests test have done, I've done. In encouraging results. My doctor doesn't take, he's so quick and he just mentioned this. You're doing good? Keep doing it. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Don't stop. I feel like God is saying to us you're spending time with God, or you're through quiet time, your men's group, woman's group. You sharing? Keep doing it. Don't stop. Do you intentionally spend time, extended time in silence, to so seeking God, listening to God? Keep doing it. Don't stop. I close with D. A. Carson's quote. Don Carson, one of the uh, theologians, the Gospel Coalition, is one of the founders, and his writings is so good. I found this, and I'm thankful. There's other things that I found, but it's his most to the point and very concise and very helpful for us to remember. Carson writes, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. It's so true, isn't it? as your pastor i do mean what i say i love you from the depth of my heart i have affections for each one of you as your pastor my concern is for those who feel like you are god is distant from you God didn't go anywhere. You're the one who drifted away, slowly and suddenly. Drifted away from the lighthouse, immovable lighthouse. The way back is a spiritual fight. The way back is broken contrite heart before the Lord way back is be strengthened in today's grace. May our church be known for spiritual vitality, not because we are special people, spiritually elite people, but because we are so simple in our daily practice of leaning on God's strength and God's power. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much. All of us need to hear that. Uh, We confess our sins and our lust, our anger, our gossips, our negativity, our cynicism, our bad attitude towards you. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Make us our heart broken and contrite before you so we may know wisely that we need you so desperately today. Strengthen us by your grace. I pray as we kick off our home group, the home group will be a a center around which we arrange our lives, not because our program is so important, but because our spiritual practices are being strengthened by the grace of God. And through home group gatherings, men's group gatherings, and women's group gatherings, an accountability relationship is so important. Keep us close to you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.